0: The next day, again, John was standing with two of his disciples, and he looked at Jesus as he walked by and said, Behold, the Lamb of God. Grace, mercy, and peace be with you from God our Father and our Lord and Savior Jesus the Christ. Amen. You may be seated. So as I said at the beginning of the service, um, my last few days had a little bit of a detour. Um, This was the first time in numerous years where we made the decision back in the fall to not have a regional team meeting at our headquarters in the Dominican, but try and get out into the field to see what's going on in other mission fields. And this last uh, week, two weeks ago, we decided to meet in Belize, which was great for the first 24 hours until we started to get the messages about the earthquakes that were now striking Puerto Rico. And so Ted Cray, who you might remember from last September here at our forum meeting, and myself, Pastor James Sharp, who's my counterpart in South America, and his wife all made our way over to Puerto Rico to be with our team as they began to minister to people now suffering through a second natural disaster. Puerto Rico, of course, is still recovering from Hurricane Maria, and we are only in the middle of our church body's four-year disaster response plan for ministering to the needs of the people of the island as they recover. And now here we are, with the very ground shaking under our feet. Houses with cracks in them in which people no longer want to stay, church steeples collapsing, apartment building complexes being condemned and evacuated. And it's all happening right in the city where we opened a mission only two years ago, next month. And so we went out that very first night of our arrival to one of the refugee camps in Ponce, Puerto Rico, a high school that had been emptied out because all the high school classes had been canceled, where there were people sleeping on Red Cross cots out in the courtyard, Receiving water, food, it's true from a great number of people because the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod wasn't the only group in the middle of a disaster response. This was not, as we like to say in Texas, everyone's first rodeo. So we knew how to mobilize. We knew how to get the water bottles to the people that needed them. We knew how to get the food to the people that needed them. We were out there making coffee and making tea, looking after people's physical needs but there was nobody answering the greatest need of all except for our very small group of missionaries. Where is God on this island? What exactly is the Lord all about here for us, these poor people living on this piece of real estate out there in the middle of the Caribbean Sea? Why is God doing this to us? A Category 5 hurricane, the loss of most, if not all, of our forests, doctors and lawyers and teachers and professionals who've all packed up and left for the mainland. And the rest of us, these handful of people left behind, now get hit with earthquakes, which, by the way, are not over. The largest one did happen a day and a half before we arrived, and even as I was talking with two of our missionaries outside of one of our missionaries' homes in Ponce, mid-conversation, they both looked at me and said, here we go again. Now, I have to freely admit, I am very earthquake insensitive. I've been through a number of them, small ones. Never seemed to notice unless somebody points them out to me. And so both of them said, it's still going, Pastor. It's still going. Can you feel it? And in that moment, I did. Our missionaries had become very sensitive to them, so much so that many of them are not sleeping. One of them had not really eaten in 24 hours because the natural disaster is happening to them too. So what did they go out and tell these people? sleeping on Red Cross cots, drinking bottled water, worried about their pets. A great many of them had dogs with them, little tiny dogs, didn't know how they were going to get fed. Where is God in all of this, and to whom do our missionaries point them? I mentioned our missionaries, their own exhaustion their own inability even to eat or to sleep through the night for the shaking that kept happening. They see the need all around them. Camps opening up in a string, one city after the other, in between Ponce, our newest mission, and Mayaguez, our oldest. All along that road, which kept getting closed and then reopened and then closed and then reopened as landslides kept happening and closing the road until they could bring bulldozers and clear all the rock. Here I am, our second night in Puerto Rico, gathering in the backyard outside with all of our missionaries from Mayaguez and from Ponce, and I'm looking at the exhaustion on their faces as they tell me, Pastor, there is more here than we can possibly do We are putting in 18, 19, 20-hour days, and we feel like we are not even scratching the surface of the needs of the people who are afraid and anxious and are looking for God. And Pastor St. Ange, how do we keep going? How do I respond to them? Where is God among our missionaries? To whom do I point them? And so I flew back on Tuesday, spent the afternoon kind of figuring out where I was. You go from those 38 degree, 37 degree temperatures to like minus 30 wind chills, snow on the ground. I've got to always wrap my brain around that. And I find myself down at McGill University, where Albert had invited me, to come and talk about science and faith. And here I am listening to these students whose questions are... Numerous. What do I tell my friend who's thinking of taking his life? How do we address the problem of pain in the world if there is, in fact, a good and gracious God? What about suffering? What do we do with the Old Testament and the God who is constantly asking for the destruction of cities and peoples, wholesale slaughter, even of women and children? Is God logical, Pastor? How do I respond? Where is God in the questions being asked by Christian and non-Christian students at our own universities in our own city? To whom do I point them? And I look at all of you here this morning. This is not Iowa. This is Montreal, Quebec, and it is the mission field. This is one of the most unchurched cities in North America, and so I know that all of you have non-Christian friends, non-Christian neighbors, probably even non-Christian family members. What do you say to the man whose aunt has just been diagnosed with cancer, to the woman who has just lost a beloved sister suddenly, way more suddenly than they expected, What do you say to the parents whose child has turned their back on them and left them alone? How do you respond to these people? To whom do you point them? And so the next day, again, John was standing with two of his disciples. And he looked at Jesus as he walked by and said, Behold the Lamb of God. John could have done any one of a number of things. He's a big preacher. People are coming from Judea, from Galilee, probably from down the Gaza, from the Philistine territories, maybe from even further away. He is the hot commodity in Israel at this point of time. He is such a hot commodity that most of the secular historical sources of the time have more to say about John than Jesus Everybody knew John's name. And so John could well have been there talking to his disciples and say, it is a beautiful day. Look at the sun and the sky and look at the beauty of creation. Behold, our God is an awesome God. He could have looked at the locusts that he's eating, the wild honey that has been provided for him, and say, behold, our God is a providential God. All you have to do is open your eyes and look around you at the great things that God provides for all people. But John points neither to the sky nor to the beauty of creation or the wonder of its creatures. He points to a man, simple man, Parwiti jumping to the punchline, because it's so easy, and yet it is so misunderstood and forgotten by Christians, when they're trying to figure out, when I'm talking to all these people and friends and neighbors and the earthquake survivors and missionaries, that that's the man to whom we point. If it was good enough for John the Baptist, is it not indeed good enough for us? Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is the God to whom we always point in all circumstances, because he is the answer to every question, the solution to every problem, the savior from every sin. And he is our life in the midst of death. Behold, the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. You remember the story of Elijah, great prophet Elijah. Elijah is having a particularly great day. His enemies, the priests of Baal, the priests of the master, have been assembled together on Mount Carmel. And there has been a showdown, and God won. And the prophets of Baal have lost. And one would think that Elijah would be seventh heaven, finally, everything is going his way. The Lord will once more be worshipped in the land of Israel. People will once more be calling upon the God who has saved his people from slavery and Egypt and brought them to the promised land and given them the promise that they will bring forth a Messiah, not just for Israel, but for all people. But no. The king and the queen decide that Elijah's life is forfeit, He needs to die. So Elijah is on the run, and he finds himself on another mountain, Mount Sinai, the mountain of God. Ten Commandments Mountain, Charlton Heston Mountain, Thunder and Lightning Mountain. And indeed, Elijah gets a light show. We get earthquakes. We get winds. We get all sorts of things happening on that mountain, but none of them hold God. He's not in these things. As great and as wondrous and as literally earth-shattering as they can be, Elijah says God was not in these things. Until finally, Elijah hears a still, small voice. And that's where God is. In his word. The word who became flesh. The word who dwelt among us full of grace and truth the Word who is Jesus of Nazareth walking along the side of the Jordan to whom John the Baptist points and says, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. So there's a young woman who comes up to me at the end of my talk at McGill. She is a friend who has been dealing with clinical depression for years. And he's worried that he's going to take his own life in the midst of the clouds of despair, and that if he does that, he will be cut off from God forever. This young woman asked me, what do I tell my friend? If he kills himself, will he go to hell? You know what I told the girl. You know the God to whom I pointed her and told her to point her friend the Lamb of God, who takes away the sin of the world. I said, your friend needs good news. He needs to be pointed to Jesus. He needs to be pointed to the God who has died for him, who loves him, who has reconciled him to himself, who has promised him eternal life, who has said no one will snatch him out of his hand. The God who mounted a cross in his place, the God who rose again from the grave, the God who was ascended to the right hand of the Father, which is not up there somewhere, but everywhere God exercises his power, which means amongst us in his word, in the font of baptism, at the altar of the Lord's Supper, this is the God your friend needs to hear about, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And she's furiously writing all this down, because I'm talking a little bit too excitedly. But this is a Christian woman, and she had never been told that where you point someone who is in the midst of despair is not back to the law, it is not back to morality, it is not up to the sky or out into creation. You point someone like that to the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, your sin, my sin all of it. And that's what you tell the aunt who's been diagnosed with cancer. It's what you tell the parents whose child is abandoned. It's what you tell the sister who's grieving. It's what you tell the people of Puerto Rico who do not know if the earthquakes are stopping or only going to get worse. In each and every case, you and I have one gift that we can give to all people in every circumstance that is always true. And it is Jesus, it is the Lamb of God, who takes away the sin of the world. Amen.